Good morning. You know, it's a blessing when we have these solos. We don't often think of that, but it's, it's a gift. It's a blessing because it leads into the messages and it prepares, the Spirit of God prepares the hearts. And John Avet is a very fine servant and she loves the Lord and she loves to sing and it just radiates from her. It comes from her heart. You know, she doesn't just one of these people that sing the word. She sings from the bottom of her soul. And that is such a blessing. Shall we just open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, today we come before you as needy people. We want to hear your voice speaking to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through the word today and speak through your servant. And just help me, Lord, to to be hidden behind your cross, that you will be magnified, Lord. You know the needs of everyone in this audience today, needs that I don't know. And Lord, your spirit knows. And we pray that you will speak to hearts and encourage and challenge and lift us up today. We just commit this time to you and pray that your spirit will manifest himself in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, every Saturday I come and do the church and then I drive home and sometimes I go this way and sometimes I go the other way. Well, yesterday I was driving toward the Crow Canyon Commons because I had to go to the bank at Wells Fargo over there. And as I was driving by, I saw a new sign outside the store at the Crow Canyon Commons. And the word was lucky. And I thought to myself, now just a few days ago, that sign had said Albertsons. And I've been following this in the news and they're trying to relive their past glory, you know, and they're going back to Albertsons now. So they've changed the name and they've made a few changes, I'm sure, in their policies and procedures. But basically, it's a name change. And as I was thinking about that, I thought a lot of people, when they change their name to Christian, from non-Christian to Christian, It doesn't result in in a change. It's a profession, but it hasn't resulted in a change. So all it is is they've changed the name over their life, non-Christian to Christian. No, it doesn't work that way. When you're born again and you're born of God and you accept him into your life, he makes a radical change. He changes more than your name. He changes your life, your soul, everything. And I love that about the Lord. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I thank God that when the Lord changes something, he makes a permanent change. Well, I drove a little further down the road and I saw another sign that you'll like. It was by the furniture retailer Ikea. We've all heard of them. They're very popular nowadays. They have a big facility in Emeryville and so forth. And the sign read this, the home is the most important place on earth. And I thought, wow, you know, that's very true. And I said, well, wait a minute, though, for the Christians, church is the most important place in the world for us. But I thought, true, the home is the most important place in the world. But it's not for the reason that they're saying what they're saying is it's all about our furniture. And if you bring our Ikea furniture into your home, your home will never be the same. It'll be great and all of that. But it's not the furniture that makes our homes up. It's the people in the home. The people that love the Lord and honor the Lord and serve the Lord in our households make them sanctuaries of peace and righteousness. And I read a sign and I see it every day because it's in my entry hall. And the sign says this. Christ is the head of this house. The unseen guest at every meal, the silent listener to every conversation. You know, when I see that sign, I get encouraged and I get convicted at the same time. 
encouraged and convicted. Praise God he's with us. Praise God he's there. He's Lord. But is he in control of everything in the house? Is he in control of my life? Is he in control of your lives in your home? And that's what the question is. Would the Lord be comfortable in your home? Would he be comfortable in my home? Would he be with you all the way when you put that TV on and start watching it? Would he be with you as you go on to the Internet? These are questions. Christ wants to be Lord of all in our lives. He wants us to live a righteous life before this world. Our title of the message today is a question. Am I right with God and am I living that way? Am I right with God and am I living that way? You know, the Christian life is not about signs and slogans and gadgets and gimmicks. There's no shortcut to it. If you want to live a godly, righteous and holy life, it takes a lot of work, a lot of prayer and a lot of feeding on God's word. There's no shortcuts to it. And so God wants us to follow him. And we're going to look three things this morning from the word of God. Number one, being made righteous by God. Number two, living a righteous life. And number three, speaking righteous words to others. I like the definition of the word righteous from the New World Dictionary by Webster's. It says righteous, acting in a just, upright manner, doing what is right. A righteous man, morally right, fair and just as a righteous act, morally justifiable, full of righteousness. And that's the kind of life that the Lord has called us to, a righteous life. Not like the Pharisees, they were self-righteous. They had their own standard of righteousness. Our righteous standard is no other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And he has given us the power, the capability of living a righteous life. Will we be perfect? No. But he's given us the capability, the resources to live righteously in a very unrighteous, unholy, corrupt and ungodly world. Please turn with me to this this morning to a short psalm, Psalm number 15. Psalm 15 written by David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. I love his psalms. I love all the psalms. We love all the word of God. You can't ever stop. But Psalm 15 is a blessing. I read it not too long back and I was so encouraged by it. Psalm number 15. Begin reading at verse 1. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at usury or interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And I love how David just summarizes it all. He who does these things shall never be moved. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts. First thing I have to say this morning is in this psalm, don't get the impression that salvation is by doing these things that he mentions. This is a result of a saved person. This is the righteous lifestyle 
This is the citizenship that we should have as citizens of heaven living on earth. This is how we should be living our lives. Not for salvation, but after salvation, living the kind of life that pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. But I noticed that the way this psalm starts off is David asks a question. And he asks the question of the Lord. And then he answers that question in the next few verses. But he asks this question. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? That word abide could really be translated sojourn. When you come to dwell in God's house, you don't just come to visit. You come to live there. And that's the amazing thing. By God's grace, he loved all of us so much that he sent the Lord Jesus to die for us so that we could come and live in his house. Who are we to live in God's house, to dwell in his presence, in his holy presence? None of us deserve that. You know, sometimes you invite somebody over to their to your house and they get kind of nosy and they look around or they put their feet on the furniture and you say, when are they going to leave these? Right. They're not respecting the home. And yet God says, I love you. I saved you. I'm inviting you into my house. One day I was over at the neighbor's house when I was living in El Cerrito and she was having a party and she had a beautiful white carpet. And everything was beautiful. They were having fun. But they were drinking what? Red punch. And there was this one older gentleman. He was a former retired captain in the army. And he had the punch in his hand. And it had one of those sunken living rooms that has kind of the steps down into it. He lost the punch. And it went all over the white carpet. But you know what? When you love somebody, that doesn't matter. And God loves us. And he knows sometimes we're going to spill punch on the carpet. Sometimes we're going to mess things up. Sometimes we're going to do things wrong. We're not going to always be right. But he loves us. And he says, I want you to become like my son. I want you to live a righteous life, a holy life, so that you can glorify me in this world. But you know, when we look at ourselves and our righteousness, what it's like, Isaiah told us very well what it's like. He said, our righteousness or our righteousnesses he said, are like filthy rags. He says, but we are like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. That's humbling. When you come into God's presence and you realize that your righteousness in yourself, filthy rags. And yet he comes to us and says, I'm going to give you my righteousness. I'm going to make you pure and holy and righteous in my sight so that when I see you, I see you perfect. And that's what the Lord does, because how does the father look at us? He looks at us through Christ. So what does he see? Perfection, blessing and wonderful things. And that's what he sees. And that's why he has delivered us. But the question of the ages is, how can an unrighteous, ungodly sinner like me be made righteous? How can God justify that? How can he justify taking me into heaven? And the reason is Jesus Christ as the only righteous man who ever lived, went to the cross, died in my place, died in your place to give us eternal life so that we can be made the righteousness of God in him. And, you know, the first reference to this is really back to the book of Genesis when the Lord spoke to Abraham. And it says in Genesis 15:6, and he that is Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's all it takes. That's how we become righteous is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, committing our life to him, accepting him by faith. And he makes us righteous in God's sight. 
I love the Amplified Version. If Mike uh, Souza was here, he'd have it here, but I'll read it for you. Of this verse on Abraham. It says, and he, Abram, trusted in, relied on, remained steadfast to the Lord, and he counted it as righteousness, right standing before God. You know, it's amazing. When we see that little baby, Kayla, we see her as so sweet. She's the sweetest little thing, but you know she's a little sinner. I'm trying to be very discreet here, but she is a little sinner. She was not born righteous. She was conceived in sin and born in iniquity like all of us were. She has to be made righteous by God. We don't, we're not born that way. Have you ever heard the person say, well, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks? What they mean, they were born into a tough situation, a tough life, bad part of the city and so forth. All of us spiritually were born on the wrong side of the track. We were not born righteous. We were born wrong. We weren't born right. So God has to come along, send his son to do it right, to die for us, to save us and make us righteous in God's sight. But the way this verse reads in the Amplified, it's more than just a belief in your head. It's a commitment. It's a trust in. It's a reliance on. It's a steadfastness. And when we have that kind of faith in the Lord, in his finished work on the cross, he gives us eternal life and makes us righteous. You know, Romans chapter 3 spells it out very clearly for us. It says there's none righteous. No, not one. God looks over. He scans the world today. China, Russia, India, United States, England, all over the world, different countries, little countries, all these things. He cannot find one righteous person. Not one. Reminds us of the days of Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham was beseeching the Lord and he says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous there, will you sweep away the righteous with the godly? And he keeps going down and down and down. And finally, he says, I'm going to ask you one more time, Lord, if there's 10 righteous there, will you destroy the city? He says, no, if I find 10, I won't destroy the city. He couldn't find 10. He found Lot. That was really it and saved him out of that. And he was a carnal person. But God had mercy on him. So none of us are righteous. No, not one. And yet God clearly tells us that through Christ, we can be made righteous. And that's comforting. When you go to bed tonight and you put your head on the pillow, you can know when you're saved, you're right with God. And like Adel was saying the other day, and I do the same kind of thing too. Before you pray at night, before you go to bed, say, Lord, if you take me home tonight, I'm ready to go. And I'll be very joyful to be in your presence. But if you give me another day tomorrow, Lord, please give me the strength to live it. Because none of us know when we put our heads down on our pillow that we might pass through to the other side and go to be with the Lord. We don't know. It could could be tonight or the rapture could come. We have to be right with God. And where you sit in that audience today, you know down deep in your heart if you're right with God or not. A lot of times we can look like we're right with God on the outside. Oh, he's got his act together. She's got her act together. She, she must be a Christian. She must be a true believer. She must be righteous. Only the Lord knows what's on the inside. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He sees into our hearts whether we're right with him or not. And as Christians, he knows whether we're right with him or not whether we're walking with him or not, or we've got some unconfessed sin or unresolved issues that need to be dealt with. There was a wonderful story that was told of a man named Mark Guy Pierce, and he was part of the Royal Band of Hanover. And he used to love to play his instruments, and he was so good at it. And he'd get out in front of there, and he'd lead the band with the troops and everything, and everything was just going wonderfully for him. 
until the day the war broke out. And then no longer was he able to play his horn. He had to fight with a gun and go in and fight in the trenches and everything like that. Well, he got very scared and very discouraged and he decided to run and to desert, which the penalty on that is still the same today, death. If they catch you as a deserter, boom, dead. And so he went back to England. He went to England for that and blended in with the people. Nobody found out. Nobody knew about it. Well, one day he he became a great musician. And then as he did that, he also was interested in studying the stars, interested in astronomy. So what he did was he would get his telescope out and he would look into the into the stars. Well, he found something there that had never been seen before. And guess what? It was a new planet that nobody had discovered before. He discovered that planet, started becoming famous over all England. And the king of England invited him to come to Windsor Palace. And so there he was. And guess who the king was? George of Hanover. He knew him. He knew what happened. And so he was trembling. He was so scared. What is going to happen to me now? And then the king said to him, there's a, there's a letter for you here that you have to read. You have to open it. And he said, okay, I'll open the letter. And then he read the letter and it said, you have been pardoned. You have been pardoned. And now you can come up and live at Windsor Castle with me. And you will be Sir William Herschel. That's the wonderful grace of God. God can take unrighteous, ungodly sinners and says, I don't care what your past life was like. Your sin, it's all under the blood. You're forgiven. You're right with God. And you can come and live in my house and be part of my family. That's what he did. Are we any better than that man Mephibosheth in the Old Testament that was crippled in his legs and he couldn't walk? And David loved him and brought him in and sat him at the king's table and he ate regularly of all the meals with the king's sons. That's what he's done for us. That's how much he loves us and wants us to be right with him and to live a righteous life. Someone said, God has pardoned us from every sin, declared us righteous without and within, made us his children to live with him there, to eat at his table, his bounties to share. So the question is for us to answer this morning, am I right with God? Have I received his righteousness, those white robes of righteousness, or am I sitting in my filthy garments of sin? That's the question that we have to answer. And we don't want to go home in that latter condition. We want to go home in the former condition, saved by grace, wrapped in his mercy and in his righteousness. Secondly, not only is it important to be made righteous by God, but it's important for us to live a righteous life. And David mentions clearly here three different things that illustrate this life. Notice he says in verse 2, He who walks uprightly, and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Three different blessings there. First one, he says, he who walks uprightly. You know, when I think of walking uprightly, there's a man in the Bible that comes to mind and his name is Job. Job chapter 1 and verse 1 clearly says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Isn't that amazing? How would you like to have a resume like that? Blameless, upright, number three, feared God, number four, shunned evil. That was the kind of life God wanted. But he didn't leave Job that way. He had to test his faith. He had to allow suffering to come. And then at the end, he revealed himself to Job and Job was humbled 
And Job realized that though he had done those good things, that's not why God loved him. That's not why God saved him. But he saved him to be his child and to live for him. And that's how why he saved us too. Yes, God makes us righteous. And now he says, I want you to live that way. That's the challenge of it. Young people, you're going to school. Live a righteous life. Your teachers are watching. Your fellow classmates are watching. We go to work on Monday morning and people want to hear how we say we are. So many people, like I've said it before, you go in on Monday morning and everybody's sad. They get a little happier as the week goes on and as you get closer to Friday, they're just overjoyed. What a transformation between Monday and Friday. But for me, I'm just as happy on Monday as Friday because every day is a new day the Lord has given us. And why should we be sad saying, oh, I have to go to work today. It's on Monday. But you know what? Thank God we have a job to go to. Thank God we have a car to drive us there in. Thank God we have clothes to wear and food to eat and all the blessings of heaven. He's been good to us. We shouldn't complain. We should be thankful. We should walk in his righteousness. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to be spiritually, morally and ethically righteous. You know, there was a story I read recently about a man, a pharmacist who made a lot of money. And he he made a lot of money as a pharmacist. One day he decided to get greedy. And so what he did was he took all the drugs and started to dilute them. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't just like the minor stuff that you take for colds or flus or stuff like that. He was diluting the chemotherapy treatments of patients. Greed can take you away, far away. And the Lord says to us as Christians, be careful. Be right in your dealings with people. In the things that you do, be, in, be a man or a woman of integrity so that people will see that you're honest and sincere and that we might not give the devil even a crack to get to us. Because if you give him a little opening, he'll come through there. I was hearing on the news the other day, they said, if you have just a couple inches space, a mouse can get through it. Just a couple inches, they can contour their body in there. The devil's like that. You give him a little inch and he's going to go right in and get in there. Don't give him an inch. Don't give him anything. Be righteous in your dealings in every way. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to be godly example. And I love the verse in Psalm 84:11 that says this. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And if we live an upright life and we live righteously before this world, the Lord is going to bless us. And even if no one else sees it, the Lord is going to bless us. He's going to take care of us. There's another verse in Proverbs 15:21 that says a man of understanding walks uprightly. And that's what God calls us to do. Think for a moment. I should have brought up one from the from the back, but just pretend you've got a sponge and you filled it with water soaked. You put that sponge on a table and then you just take one little finger and you touch the sponge. What happens to it? Water starts coming out onto the table. What does that mean? That the sponge was totally saturated with that water. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to be righteous. He's made us righteous. He wants us to live that way so that he fills us with himself and we can then flow out to others and touch others. If our lives aren't righteous, if they're not godly, if they're not holy, we can't affect other people at all. And oftentimes, when we go through the trials and difficulties, the way we are on the inside is going to come out. Just like we had Ron mention it one time in the scripture memory class. What happens when you squeeze an orange 
orange juice comes out. When God squeezes us, what comes out when we go through the heavy burdens and trials? He wants us to be living righteous lives. That's what Paul said to the Ephesians. He says, he says, bond servants or employees, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants or employees, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Thank God the Christian life is 24-7. You can't take a day off and say, well, I'm going to take a day off from righteous living today. I'm going to take a day off from godly living today. I'm going to take a day off and just bum out and do whatever I want. No, it doesn't work that way. Or like our friend Randy Moss, who took plays off in football. He's a receiver now for the Patriots. But when he played for the Vikings and he prayed for the Raiders, there would be plays where he, his number wasn't called to catch the pass. So instead of running the pattern like he's supposed to, being a decoy, taking the other defenders down the field, he just kind of sloughed it off. He took the playoff. He didn't care. That is not the way the Christian life is to be. Every day, 24-7, our words, our conduct, actions, everything need to be right with God because we can't afford to slip up. We can't afford to mess up because people are watching our lives. We're examples to them like Adel shared in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we have to do that on a constant, daily basis. Now, I went to the store the other day to Rite Aid over here in the same center. And I found these newfangled light bulbs. Have you ever seen them? They're kind of neat. They're not like a regular bulb type, but they're kind of twisted, you know, and they have that. Guess how long they last? Five years. Five years of light. They're guaranteed. They say, if it doesn't last for five years... Send it on in. My problem is, how am I going to remember when I put it in to remember? Did it last four and a half, four and three quarters? How? I won't be able to remember it, but I'm trusting them that it's going to last me five years. By the way, they got a 50% off sale on them, too. I recommend them. <laughs> mm. It's pretty good. But you know, the Lord calls us to live a righteous life and to let our light shine before men. That's why the Lord Jesus said to his followers, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let it shine for five minutes? No. Five days? No. Five months? No. Five years? No. Our lights are going to shine all through our lives and then into eternity because the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, has shined on us with his righteousness and he has given us everything that we need. So he's told us how to be righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross. He said, he who knew no sin, God made him to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then we have saw also how important it is for us to live righteous lives. Well, the third thing he gets into in this passage is that we are to speak Righteous words. You know, before we're saved, our mouth is filled with all kinds of bad words. All kinds of bad words. And we hear it today. Ron was mentioning the other day he's working with some people that have pretty foul mouths. And we all do. But the Christian should have a clean tongue. 
righteous words. We shouldn't have anything come out of our mouth that isn't according to God's will. In fact, the scripture says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is necessary for edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. That's a challenge, isn't it? Speak everyone truth with his neighbor, the Bible says. And so as we go out into this world, we have to be conscious and cognizant of the fact that people are listening to our words. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful at the jokes we tell, if we tell jokes, that they are 100% clean. Not 99.9, but 100%. Don't even leave a shadow where somebody could take it the wrong way. Our words have to be above board, not even words that are similar to swear word. The other day, somebody swore at work and didn't even use the, the bad word, really bad, but used a form of the word and apologized to me. I said, okay, thank you. But you know what? We as Christians need to be above reproach in our conduct, in our speech, so that the Lord will be glorified who hears everything and sees everything and people around us will be blessed. Notice he says in this passage in verse three, he who does not backbite with his tongue. That's talking about gossip. That's talking about slander. That's about bad mouthing another Christian. That should not ever happen. If perchance somebody comes up to you and says, have you heard about Dean? Have you heard what he did? Have you did this? Have you did that? Whether it's me or anybody else, you know what you've got to say to them? I don't want to hear it. Or let's go to Dean and talk to Dean about it right now. Those things will stop it. They will snuff it out completely. And we should never give a chance for gossip to grow because it's like algae. You give it a place to grow, it will grow and become slippery for people to fall. That's what happened to our brother Rick Punzo. He was walking along and there was some water there and some algae had formed and he slipped and fell on his back. I don't want to be responsible for someone getting hurt and stumbling and falling because of my words or my actions. And that's why it's a challenge. I say, Lord, help me to be that kind of testimony. Yes, the words are so important. And then he goes on to say in verse four, in the rest of verse three, he says, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. You know, God says that we're all neighbors with each other and we should love our neighbor like we had in our scripture memory class today. And when we do that, we can be a blessing. And then he also says, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. And he says in verse four, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. You know, we have two kinds of people we can associate in life with God's people, with the righteous or with the devil's people, the unrighteous. So many Christians say, well, I can associate with the with the unsaved people. I'm strong. I can handle it. I can go to their turf. I can be on their ground. I can be a, a blessing. No, it doesn't work that way. You and I need the home field advantage. Bring them over to our turf, over to our side, over to a righteous side, so there's no compromising our stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to live righteous lives, speak righteous words, and be his citizens of heaven here on earth. That's the way he wants us to be. 
So in conclusion today, we see that God has made us righteous. And if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been made righteous. But if you haven't accepted Him yet as your Savior, don't leave today without doing that because anything could happen to you as you leave this place. And we don't want you to depart without Christ. Receive His righteousness. Be clothed in those beautiful robes of righteousness. And as a Christian, He gives us the power to live a holy and godly and righteous life. Not for our glory to say, well, Dean did that and Dean did this. And no, all the glory goes to the Lord. And that's what we should say to people if they compliment us and this and that. And I say the glory goes to the Lord because it's what he's done in me. I have nothing that I can take any credit for whatsoever. May our character and our conduct and our conversation be worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the key. I'd just like to conclude with a little brief poem written by a man named Paul Gilbert that said, You were writing a gospel, a chapter a day, by the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? What is the gospel according to you? Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for a very challenging word from your servant David. His words came alive to us, Lord. And we know that it is challenging, but we thank you that you have made us righteous. You have given us the righteousness of Christ, taken away the filthy rags and the evil life that we had before, made us new creatures, Lord. And we pray that we will live up to this high calling, that we will be righteous in all our dealings with integrity and honesty and sincerity, whether anybody's looking at us or not, Lord, help us to know that you're looking at us and listening to us. And Lord, help us to speak those words which are righteous, which are godly words that can be a comfort to others, can, can lead people to Christ and can show them the way. Lord, we only have one chance to make a good impression and we want to make an impression for you and we want to tell people. And so, Lord, please give us that foundation of godly living so that when we do speak to people, they will take notice of it. Lord, please dismiss us with your blessing. Help us to go forth rejoicing today that we've been made right with God, that no matter what happens, and Lord, help us to live that way. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.